0: I started this mini-series, three-part mini-series, entitled, Your Kingdom Come, having just gone through an exposition of the Lord's Prayer, seven-part series there, and all this is on the the website at fpcniceville.org if you want to follow up or listen to any part of that uh, or the previous series. And yet i decided i would focus on because twice in the lord's prayer we see the presence and the idea and the concept of the kingdom and it's something that's often misunderstood today in many ways and it's a very huge topic a very and yet this is a very small series and obviously i'm not covering every aspect of that and i couldn't do so but the thing that i want you to remember before we read Again, our scripture readings to kind of introduce the kingdom concept today is that there are two aspects, I've told you the last couple of weeks, of the kingdom. When we were first looking at it, there are two aspects. There's a universal aspect, and there's a messianic aspect. The universal is simply Christ's overlordship over all things, his reign over all his creatures, Everything in the created universe, God is sovereign over. And so, in that sense, Christ is king. He sat as king at the flood. He is always and will be king. He always rules and reigns, accomplishing his purposes among the hosts of in heaven and the inhabitants of the earth, whether they know it or not, whether they willingly are doing his will. He's accomplishing his purposes and they will stand. And yet there is another sense in which we speak of the kingdom and it's this sense that this series is primarily talking about. That is the messianic kingdom. The kingdom that is brought, was promised long ago and has come to fulfillment in the coming of God's only son to accomplish the work of the kingdom on the cross and through his resurrection and to usher in and inaugurate the age to come. The old age of decay is fading and yet the new age has been inaugurated in Christ and yet it's not complete. It's still, there is the overlap of ages between the old and the new and that will not be completed until Christ returns. Then finally, the final and glorious consummation of all things, the new heavens and the new earth in which there dwells righteousness and there is no more pain or sorrow or crying all of the travesties, all of the injustices of this world will be righted and everything will be right in that final aspect of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he delivers it unto the Father. And then there is peace forevermore, no more darkness, only light for the Lord God is the light of that kingdom forever and forever. And it belongs to all of those who have faith in God's Son who is the one that brought the kingdom and will deliver it again to the Father to whom be glory, praise, and honor forever and forever. Amen. Now, with that little bit of introduction, let's read our scripture reading today. You'll see that the first verse talks about that. That first sense of the kingdom as God's sovereign rule, the second one deals with the kingdom in its messianic form brought by Christ, and then finally the call upon the plea for us to pray for his kingdom to come. First Chronicles twenty nine eleven says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty of For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. And there are no exceptions to that. And then in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And then what we prayed earlier in the Lord's prayer. Matthew 10:6 or Matthew 6:10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, may now the words of your Holy Scripture guide us to think properly of the kingdom. Lord, to love your kingdom, to long to see it come, and Lord, to do our small and bit part in that by your grace and at your invitation. And we pray that you'll help us to understand it better today, love it more and long for it, and see it come, will you send it, Lord Jesus, and we pray in your name, amen. Well, so far in this series, we've done a little looking at the kingdom, the what, when and where of that, the first installment, then last week we talked about the idea of living in the kingdom and today we're going to be focusing our attention on what it means to labor for the kingdom laboring for the kingdom and to do that we're going to use a very simple two-point outline got you didn't it most of you We're thinking it's got to be a three-point outline. Not always, most of the time, but not always. Sometimes it can be more, sometimes less. Uh, We've got a full plate today. And so this is just a two-point outline today, but these things are very important that we're going to be looking at. Here they are. We're going to be looking at, as we think of what it means to labor for the kingdom, we're going to make some important kingdom distinctions, some things about the kingdom that we need to distinguish And then secondly, we're going to look at some very important dynamics of the kingdom. So we're going to be looking at kingdom distinctions and kingdom dynamics in the time that we have here this morning. Now, what about the kingdom's distinctions? What am I talking about? In order to understand, particularly, and this often gets confused. It has gotten confused in the past Sometimes in many hymn books you can read about things where these two things are confused. In order to understand the church's relationship to the kingdom, we need to make some important distinctions. Now, don't get me wrong. The kingdom and the church are integral. They are closely associated. There is overlap. There are things in which they are vitally important to God's overall purpose and to what he's doing in his plan. But they are not identical. First of all, the church is not the kingdom. They are not just interchangeable words that we can throw about meaning the same thing. They are not synonymous. They are friends. They go well together They are related, they are integral, as I said, but they are not one and the same. For instance, simply put, the kingdom is about what? About the king, the ruler. The kingdom is whose? Yours is the kingdom, God. That's how we pray. So the kingdom belongs to God, it's initiated by God, it comes from God, and it will be completed By God. So the kingdom is about the ruler, not the ruled. Not the subjects of the kingdom. That's where the church comes in. The kingdom is the domain of God. And the church is the community of his gathered disciples. His people that trust the king... And have received his saving grace that he has accomplished on Calvary. And through his death and resurrection and ascension. Receive that kingship. And now we are his gathered people. His gathered subjects in that kingdom. Listen to these words from George Eldon Ladd. Kind of helps explain and understand this a little bit more. The church is the community of the kingdom, but never the kingdom itself. Jesus' disciples belong to the kingdom, and the kingdom belongs to them. But they are not the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule of God. The church is a society society of men and women who profess God, profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's the first important distinction to make. Secondly, in a certain sense, the kingdom creates the church. It births the church, if you will. The presence of the kingdom of God, when it came in the coming of Jesus... How do we know that? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 2? Jesus said, but if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus said, you want to know if it's here? Look at what's happening. You know the kingdom of God has come. And so, the presence of the kingdom meant Finally, at last, after all those years of waiting and anticipating and being told of the promise and hoping in the coming Messiah, finally that kingdom had touched down on planet Earth, had invaded this place with its powerful pulsating presence of life and renewal and salvation Bringing grace. It meant that the Old Testament messianic kingdom hope had finally come at last. And all who then received Jesus the Messiah were a part of the then, after Jesus' ascension, developing church that would become and be called the true Israel of God by Paul. And others. Listen to what Ephesians 3.6 says. This mystery. What mystery? That which was not understood about how and when the kingdom was going to come. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles now are heirs together with Israel. The natural branches. The Jews that had trusted in God's promised Messiah. They but now are brought together members of one body, not two, not separate, one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This is what was accomplished. This was what was brought about by the kingdom, the building up of now a universal church made up of nations and kingdoms, not just one particular people, but would spread through all the world, in which there would be neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. That kingdom, that church, that church would be was the result of the work of the kingdom coming, brought by our Lord Jesus. Thirdly, in terms of making important distinctions, and we better be get this one clear. We must have no delusion that you and I are ever going to bring the kingdom. That you and I, by our hard work and by our efforts, are going to usher in the kingdom of God. Now, if you were in Rick's Sunday school class, you heard a lot about uh, Finney, Charles Finney's uh, idea out of how we can do this, or so we can pull ourselves up. It's Pelagian to the core. That we can do this through our own efforts. And whether you know it or not, if you know history, as, as Rick said in his class, the time in which he was talking about the second great awakening was a, a real time of a lot of optimism, a lot of development in science, a lot of development, a lot of and people were beginning to think, hey, you know, we can do this, we can build a better world. Only thing is they left God out of it. And they were thinking in this very optimistic, we can accomplish, we can build. The city of man that will rival or eclipse the city of God. Liberals, and I'm talking about theological liberals, love to think of that idea that man can accomplish and bring this kingdom of God on earth. It's what you would call a secular version of post-millennialism. But there's an evangelical, and don't confuse the two. That one's only brought about by the work of God's spirit. But nonetheless, there are those that foolishly think they can contribute and make the kingdom come. And I am saying to you, make no mistake about it. Don't be delusioned into thinking that you and I can add one iota to the kingdom of God in our power and in our own strength and by our efforts. God brings the kingdom's reign through the accomplishments of Jesus. In case you don't know it, the first Adam had a chance to build out the kingdom, but he and the missus blew it. And, And he sunk the rest of us, tied a sea anchor around our ankles and threw us in the deepest sea we basically had no way and the and many foolish people read and think that oh now now we can we can now start about doing what adam didn't do right and fix it no the second adam had to come and fix it you and i can't fix it even if we got the right intent the first adam lost it It is the second Adam Jesus Christ alone that can restore it. It is Christ that brings the kingdom and it's Christ that will render the kingdom at last in its fullness to the Father. And all will be all in all. That's the work of Christ. So don't be delusional about you and I bringing the kingdom. God has to do that. Now Those of us who are citizens of the kingdom will one day enter the new heavens and the new earth solely on account of the work of the second Adam, our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has broad shoulders, and he's going to do that. He's going to bring us at last, as Paul said, into his heavenly kingdom. But it will be by what he has accomplished. And we put all our faith, all our trust in that. Now you say, okay, Joe, great. Gave us some distinctions, some important distinctions. Got it. Check. But what, what do you mean by kingdom dynamics? Right now you may be wondering, so let me get this right, Joe. You said if we can't bring the kingdom, then there's nothing for us to do, right? Just sit back, wait and watch, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. We can't bring the kingdom, as I said, but we can build for it as partners coming alongside with God. Look at Paul's language in in his epistles. He uses that, that reference over and over about being partners with the Lord in his interests. We can serve the kingdom's interests. We can labor for the kingdom in many ways. Why? Because we are heirs of the kingdom ourselves and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 8 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share the sufferings, in order that we also may share the glory. We get to come alongside. We get to, to follow our big brother, the Lord Jesus. The power and the glory and the kingdom is his, but we get to have a role. We get to have an active participation. The missiologist Leslie Newbigin said the church should be three things. He said it should be a sign of things to come. It should be an instrument of the kingdom and also a foretaste of the kingdom. Now, what I want to do is just look at those three things real briefly. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste? As a sign of the kingdom, what am I talking about? The church should be a sign of the kingdom's presence right smack dab in the middle of the old age of sin and death. No, the kingdom in its final... Finalist has not come. Yes, the world is still a colossal mess as we again painfully saw yesterday in listening to the news and today. What is wrong with this world? There's still so much evil. And if nobody else will call it what it is, that's what it is. We stammer and stumble around trying to explain and as if there is no evil. But yes, that's where we are now. But that's not where we're always going to be. And right now, even in this messed up world as it still is, we who are here, who have been parachuted, halo-jumped into this place, the kingdom of God has come, and we are to plant our banners, our flag, to stand and speak the truth, proclaim the truth of God And provide an oasis in this difficult world in which we live. We are to be a sign that there is a better world coming. And Jesus is bringing it. It's already a better world than it would have been without him. By far beyond anything you can imagine. If we all knew the truth. But as this world continues to run its course in confusion and destruction, the church is supposed to be a beacon of light in the darkness. We are supposed to be a city set upon a hill that lights the way, even in a dark and still pockmarked world. It's not yet what it will be. And we live in the hope and we hold out that hope to others. reach down and give them a hand to pull them into the, the place where the light of God shines. The church should be the front line of God's new world marked by faith hope and love. You know that's our vision statement simple vision statement, summary vision statement. To be a community of faith, hope and love committed to knowing Christ and making him known. That's a kingdom endeavor. That's a kingdom mission. How can that happen? Is that happening? Who brings that? But that's what we are supposed to be. We need to be praying for the God to make us that, for that to be really true, that there is evidence of faith, hope, and love. There is compassion. There is grace that is afforded to sinners like this table affords. Listen to what Tim Keller says about this whole idea of the sign of the kingdom. He said, what is the relationship of the church and the kingdom? On the one hand, the church is a pilot plant of the kingdom of God. It's not simply a collection of individuals who are forgiven. It's a royal nation, 1 Timothy 2.9. In other words, it's a counterculture. It's something that bumps back against the flow and ebb of the way the world is going in its headlong dash toward destruction. We're supposed to be giving something, presenting something that's different, that looks other than. It's a counterculture. The church is to be a new society in which the world can see what family dynamics should be, what business practices ought to be, What race relationships should be, and what all of life can be under the submissive lordship of Jesus Christ, the King of the kingdom. That's what we're left here to do. That's what we're supposed to be before a watching world. Secondly, the church is supposed to be an instrument of the kingdom. Not only should we seek to serve God's kingdom as individuals, and we are, and we're called to do that, many places, but also as a corporate presence. We are supposed to, as a collective, a corporate body, defined by a location, this church, 1800 John Sims Parkway, we are supposed to be an instrument Of the kingdom, not just in individuals, but in the collective, in the aggregate of the body of Christ here. We are to enact and sponsor activities that serve the interests of the kingdom. That's one of the things we should be doing. In other words, what we're talking about here is a word and deed partnership. (laughs) We need both. You have to start with the gospel, with the word, with the truth. But also that should be followed up with deeds and love and mercy. The hymn says what? His heavenly kingdom comes. Not through swords loud clashing nor roll of stirring drum, but with deeds of love and mercy, his heavenly kingdom comes. That's what we're supposed to be an instrument of. Showing that partnership. That we're not only a church that's faithfully proclaiming the truth of God's word and holding back against that which is trying to sweep away that truth or tell us that we need to develop a new, more sensitive truth. No. We must hold that line and proclaim the gospel that is in Jesus Christ and in him alone and not water it down in any way. And yet, we must be about deeds of mercy and grace that shows that there is the life of heaven pulsing in the veins of what God is doing here. We are to word and deed partner. That's why our missions, in our missions activities, we not only go across the world to sponsor missions, but we do it right here in our own community, caring and sharing and other things that we are involved in and in future things we will be involved in, God willing. You see, kingdom advancing churches not only seek to stay true to the scriptures and call people to personal faith in Jesus, but they also challenge the church to be active in the community. When I first came here 14 years ago, we weren't that active in the community. And that's not something we ought to be patting ourselves on the back about. We needed to get out of the salt shaker a little bit more. One of the first things I did, I joined the uh, Chamber of Commerce. Why? Well, that that cost $300 a year, $250. I don't know, something like that. That's a lot of money. (laughs) Why? To serve this community. To send them a message that this we are not here to take. We are here to give. We are here to be an outpost of the kingdom and of the world to come. And we want to be those who pray for and bless our community and make it a better place that feels a little bit more, just a little bit more like the world that's coming than it used to. That's the way we can be an instrument of the kingdom. You see, it is, a, it is a powerful statement is made when a church community as a corporate body acts in ways that advance the kingdom of God, not just their own personal agendas and their own roles and their own bank accounts. As if somehow we're the only people that matter. Everybody else out there that might be preaching Christ and the gospel. We don't need to be worried about them. We don't need to have a concern for them. I am thankful to God. And the only thing is I'm frustrated because he beat me to the punch. <laughs> James Ross, the uh, uh, pastor at First Baptist here. Uh, we've got a wonderful uh, ministerial uh, uh, Alliance, Twin Cities Ministerial Alliance. Uh, and we got some really great brothers uh, in, in that, uh, that group. And uh, James just called me not long ago and said, Hey, um, listen, I, I, I'm gonna be, we're going to be hosting the chamber at our church. Well, that's what I've been wanting to do for a long time. It costs money. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to come up with some shekels. Just hadn't been in the budget. But he said, I want to do that. And then, and then I really was mad at him because then he said, and I want to give a third of the, the little time that I have. I want to I want to highlight what God's doing in other churches in our community and how it's blessing and making this a better community. And I went, doggone it. <laughs> no, I didn't. But inside, I did. I was like, yes, yes. This brother gets it. You see, he's got a kingdom vision, not just a particular church vision. Yes, I believe in our particular church. Yes, I believe in our denomination, but there are some things that can be done across that line and beyond it in which you can partner together and make a kingdom impact in your community, in your city, in your region. Third, the church is supposed to be finally a foretaste. It's supposed to be a sign it's supposed to be an instrument, but it's also to be, you know, mm, ah, smells like, tastes like. You know, it's like coming into your, to your uh, mom's house after being gone all day out in the woods and when you a kid and walk in and just uh, the supper aroma hits you. You just feel at home. The church is supposed to be a foretaste of that coming day when the kingdom arrives in all of its fullness, in all of its glory, in all of its beauty. And you know, that hasn't happened here, but I tell you what, I have whiffed the aroma of the kingdom in this place. I've seen it in your lives. I've seen it in the way that you've loved what I sometimes call Jesus' sightings. Not that he really is here, but yes, he really is here. Not physically, not bodily, not corporally but he's here when you love and when you serve and when you sacrifice and when you're more concerned for others than you are for yourself and you're not worried about whether you get things your way in the order of this or the choice of that, but rather your concern for his kingdom And you want to see his body served and edify. Oh, my friends, we are God's chosen people in whom the age to come has taken root. And the spirit of God enlivens our love and worship and empowers us as we tell the truth and proclaim it. And it gives off a fragrance of the kingdom of God, or at least it should. Is it? You see, the church is called not only to be a community of witnesses, but a witnessing community. It's the aggregate. It's the whole. What do people feel when they come? How do they, do they feel loved? Do they feel accepted? Do they feel welcomed? Do they see people loving one another, enjoying one another? A light in this dark world. I believe many do. Many people have told me, and that's why they're here right now. Some of have gone because Uncle Sam has moved them, but many of those have known that. Is it what it should be? Of course not. But how are we doing here at FPC? Is there evidence that we're working for the kingdom by seeking to be a sign, to seeking to be an instrument, and to seeking to be a foretaste of that coming kingdom? Are you praying for his kingdom to come regularly? And are you? We laboring for it. He asked me to remind you. Amen. Father, here, help us. Hear now our prayer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.